Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. Good morning. Merry Christmas. See what? Uh, I can feel the Christmas spirit growing in the church. I think last year we, we were pulling it forward. It's starting to get behind us now and we're moving. I love singing Christmas carols. I don't know that Starbucks or Target understands what's going on when in the background during our shopping, they're singing doctrine over us. They're, they're sharing the gospel to every person in the store. Last week we sang the song, uh, Hark the Herald, and we talked about how a line in there declares peace to humanity, the thing that our hearts are pounding for, and no one at the store seems to realize what's happening. In that song, there's another line I wanted to share with you this morning. It's in the third verse. I know you recognize it. It's the line that says, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. And believe it or not, it's just a ripoff of Malachi 4.2. So that's where we'll be this morning. Grab your Bible and open it to Malachi in the Old Testament. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. Not hard to find. Find Matthew, turn back a page. That's where we'll be today, Malachi 4, verse 2. We're talking about the gift exchange is what we're talking about. We're being reminded how Christmas tells us again and again every year it's this reminder that there are certain things that we need to give over to God. We need to hand some things to Him. And in response, He desires to give us some things in response to our desire, our willingness to open our lives up to Him, to begin to trust Him. And with God, what we give Him isn't to be wrapped in a pretty box, and it's not some fancy present that we've stressed over, but He wants us to give Him the things that we just can't seem to handle in our lives. The things that that tend to day by day steal life and joy and peace from us. And in exchange, what He wants to give us is life-giving things. Last week, we, we talked about how He wants to exchange with us. He wants to give us His peace in place of our anxiety, if we'll entrust that to him. And today, kind of in the same way, I want to look at how uh, he desires to give us a particular gift in Christmas. And, and the one I want to talk about today, I have been somewhat consumed in prayer about this message today because I feel like some days I stand here and I'm talking to a few of you, and some days I feel like I'm talking to every one of us. And today what we're talking about is how Jesus coming to earth is a sign and a reminder that God is near to us. That's something we forget. It's a sign and a reminder that God's eye is on us, that his heart is for us, that he is near to us. And at the same time, it is an invitation to us to give him all of our hurts, those things that pain us the most, those things that weigh us down, those things that we feel like are going to destroy us, to give him our hurts and exchange received from him his healing. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, and it's important because I realize that for a lot of people, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, and for some other people, and I was reminded when I was watching the uh, classic Christmas movie, Gremlins, um, it is a classic Christmas movie. They're green, their eyes are red, point made, right? One of the main characters is just completely depressed by Christmas. And I'm glad she is because she kind of is a flagpost reminding me that the hurts that we carry can't be overcome by a, a, just a cliche or a, a thin veiling of joy because everyone else expects it of us. 
And so this morning, we are talking about the things that hurt us. And I realize this, when we're suffering, when we have hurts, something happens in us and we begin to have kind of a, a God amnesia. You know what I'm talking about? We, we begin to forget the things that we do know about God or we've believed about God and we begin to forget where our help comes from. And so today, as we look at this passage, it's a reminder that the people of God have, have often struggled to remember things they ought already to have known when they're in the middle of suffering and when they're waiting on help. And this is how it was in Malachi's day. The people of God had forgotten where their help came from. And in Malachi's day, they were waiting for God to fulfill his promises. And specifically, they were waiting on the first coming of Jesus. He hadn't come yet. He hadn't incarnate in the flesh. He hadn't come in the flesh and put on humanity and walked and demonstrated and displayed the power and the goodness and the love of God. He hadn't climbed a cross. He hadn't resurrected. They're waiting on his first coming. And sometimes, and you and I both know this, I'll tell you what you already know, it's that it's hard to live expectantly, live with expectation all of the time when you're facing trouble in your life. When things hurt us emotionally, physically, relationally, when we experience hurts, we tend to forget. We become distracted. We become discouraged. We even become disillusioned with the things of God. And so in Malachi's day, God gives him a word to speak to the people that would stir their hope and stir their affections. Here's the word of God through the prophet Malachi. Malachi 4 verse 2 but for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. And this is a, it's a great promise of God, and it's a little strange at the same time. Both of those things can be true. And it's all tied up in Advent. It's tied up really, truly in the second coming of Jesus when he returns, which is the thing that we wait for now. But but for them, it began with his first coming. For all who trust for Je in Jesus for salvation, there is righteousness, there is relief, there's healing to be found for our hurts in Jesus. And I want to this morning real quickly highlight a couple of key ideas in this one verse and unpack what is Malachi trying to get across, what does God want his people to know by this verse and then I want to dig down into the idea of healing that we find in the Bible so that we might set our minds and our hearts in anticipation for what it is that he really desires to do in us. And so let's start here in this text. Um, who is it that receives the blessing of Christ's healing? Is it for everyone or is it for a particular people? What does it say? It says, but for you who fear my name. And you and I know that the world is full of people who do not fear the name of God at all, right? That they, they could not care less if God is real and if God cares for them or if God has truth. In fact, whether there's a God or not, nothing really changes about their life. They would live exactly the same whether we told them there was a God or they never heard that in their entire life. They live as their own creator and their own sustainer as if they have the final say on what is true and what is right and what is meaningful in this life. And that's a bunch of they's. So now we have to have a bunch of we's. And the we's hurt a little more than the they's because they point out the, the hurtful, almost disconcerting truth that we, the church, often act and live and think exactly like the they's. Meaning, even though... We know something about God in Christ. 
because he has revealed himself to us. Even though we surround ourselves with the people of God and we sit here with our paperback or our leather bound or our digital versions of the word of God sitting in our laps right now and we've been singing the words of God, the promises of God, his praises are flowing from our lips, there are a lot of times in our lives that we live as if we are God and he is not. And we are our creators and our sustainers, and we have the final say on is there truth, what is the truth, and how will I live in this truth. And it would do us a lot of good to remember the Bible gives no promises of blessing, no promises of healing, no promises of transformation for people who live as their own masters. It's not there. But there's a lot of promise for relief, for help, for comfort, for healing, for those who these words fear God. So what does it mean to fear God? I just want to talk about for just a second. What does it mean for people to fear God? Here, specifically, it means reverence for God. It means acknowledging there is a God, and I ain't it. I'm not Him. The opposite of this would be to live as your own master. It would be self-reliance, self-sufficiency. It would be the autonomy of the self. That is disobedience. That's a lack of fear for God. But here, a person who fears my name, God says, it simply means this. It means a person who clings to Jesus Christ and gives all of the, the trust and the faithfulness that he deserves, who desires, even if they don't live it out perfectly, who desires to depend on him fully with their life. And I want you to hear this. Hear this. Those who fear God know they need Jesus. This is everything. Listen to it again. Those who fear God know they need Jesus. Can you say that with me? Ready? Those who fear God know they need Jesus. This is critical because the Jews in the Old Testament knew a lot about God. They had a relationship with God. They lived their entire story, their entire narrative was built upon the kindness of God, the faithfulness of God, the steadfastness of God, the goodness of God, the power of God enveloping their entire story from their beginning, and yet they still lived in darkness. And why is that? Well, this verse says, because the son of righteousness had not yet risen, right? It hadn't happened yet. This verse declares that it will happen. The son of righteousness will rise on them. And it's talking about Jesus. Jesus, who's the S-O-N of God, is also referred to throughout the scriptures as being the S-U-N that we need. Jesus will come to them. That's what this verse promises. And we know that this is, is Jesus because the Bible over and over again refers to Jesus like, a, like the Son because of what he brings to the earth. I want to give you some examples of this. Prophet Isaiah, famous Christmas passage we love to read at Christmas time. Isaiah 9 says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light, and those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And in case someone was missing who we're talking about, verse 6 says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. I heard a sermon this morning from Alistair Begg, and he talked about this phrase, Wonderful Counselor. And instead of wonderful in the Hebrew being an adjective to describe the counselor, it's more abstract than that. Wonderful is this abstract word saying, We're full of wonder because no one gives counsel like this. 
And his word is used throughout the Old Testament to describe things that people just can't do. Like when, when the water stands up like a wall, oh, what a wonder, only God can make water stand like a wall. And only God can give counsel like this. Mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Habakkuk 3.4, his radiance is like the, somebody say, sunlight. That was pitiful. Try again. Sunlight. <laughs> there we go. He has rays flashing from his hand, and there is the hiding of his power. Zacharias. This is Uncle Zach to Jesus, right? Zacharias had a prophecy about Jesus. Luke 1.78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. I'll give you another one. Transfiguration moment. One of my favorite moments in, in Jesus' walking days on earth. He takes uh, Peter, James, and John up to a mountain to give them a special picture of who he is, something incredibly unique. We call it the transfiguration because in this moment it says he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his garments became white as light. And it's this moment where the eternal Son of God, who is described as all things have been created in Him and through Him and by Him, and nothing came into being that didn't come into being through His power from the very beginning, we get a picture of what Jesus has always looked like. And all of the paintings and all of the drawings that people have done to try to depict what Jesus looks like, like you have to peel back the mask of humanity. That's what He did with Peter, James, and John. And He said, this is what I really look like. And they describe him because words fail. I mean, they can't describe the power and the pure glory and the pure righteousness that exists in the eternal Son of God. So they go, it was like the sun was shining right on us. Revelation 21, John has given a picture by the Holy Spirit of what's to come, something none of us have experienced yet. Something in your soul, whether you've recognized it as this or not, from the day you were born, something in your soul was beating for this moment. Revelation 21, John sees our future, the future for all who are in Christ, the new earth. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. He said, and the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it. Why? For the glory, that's, yeah, for the glory, I like that. For the glory of God has illumined everything. The lamp is the lamb. What I want you to see is when Jesus arrives, this is what Malachi is saying, when Jesus arrives on the scene simply by being present with people, he provides specifically what every person needs. Malachi says two things. He, just by being with people, he provides light so that we may see. Light bringing heat from the sun of righteousness to cool, to warm our cooling hearts. And he brings healing when he comes to people. And I want to look at these two things quickly. First, Jesus brings light where there is darkness. When you have light, you can see. Things that were, were hard to understand in the dark, they come into clarity when Jesus arrives because he makes sense of things. I'll give you a picture of this. Um, next Sunday, I'm going to preach on this story, and it will be online only. Make sure that you wrote that down. Next Sunday, online only. 
But I, I will share this message with you about Jesus before Pilate, just moments before his death, speaking about his birth. And this is what he says to Pilate. He says, for this I was born, for this reason, for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate in the moment mocked him. He, he said, he asked a question that just like it was 2021, and he goes, truth? <laughs> What's truth? I mean, is that even a thing anymore? And it's not then or now because people don't want truth. It's then and now because we have so much skepticism about truth. Is there anything that I may believe? And he's deeply interested Because at the end of the day, when it comes down to this skepticism about truth, what it leaves us with when we have hurts, when we have hang-ups, when we have all kinds of things going on in our life, and we have nothing that we can grab onto, nothing that we can place our feet on and say, this is firm enough to hold my weight, we end up spiritually empty and bankrupt on the inside. And so the hurts that we have are just there. And we believe there's nothing that can help us because we can't trust what's true. But Jesus is the light of the world. Since when the Son of Righteousness rises on us, He gives us light so that we can see things as they really are. He brings sense, He brings meaning to life so that we may begin to then move forward in the broken world that we live in, feeling more secure than we were before because our security is found in Him. So He brings light. The second thing, Malachi says he brings his healing. Malachi 4.2, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And the people who heard this were sick to their soul. They were sick to their, they had all of the maladies that just come with being in the physical world, all of the limitations. They had sickness, they had fights with family members, they had, they had divorce, they had children who, you know, would not do anything that they wanted them to do, and kids whose parents were not treating them right. They had all of those things, but they were sick to their soul because Jesus had not yet come for them. But Jesus came to heal. He was and is a great healer. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said about the healing nature of Jesus in this passage. He said, if you and I could get any adequate idea of the light and the heat that comes from the sun, try to wrap your mind around that for a second. If we could wrap our minds around the light and heat that that come from the sun, then you might in some form have a faint conception of the streams of mercy never ceasing which flood the universe from Christ, who is the great central orb of the love of God. Think back on that transfiguration moment. And, And they're blinded by the power and the glory emanating from Jesus. It is with that he pours out loving kindness and mercy and healing on all those who fear the name of, of God. And the point and the promise here is that real healing for your real hurt comes only in Christ. And that is the great promise of Christmas, that he came to exchange his healing for our hurts. And please hear me, I understand when I say this, I run the extreme danger. This is the thing I've been committing to prayer all week. I run the extreme danger of that sounding like nothing more than a platitude. That Jesus came to exchange his healing for your hurts. Hallelujah, let's go home. And if you're deep in your bag of hurts right now, 
then it may do nothing more than harden your heart. Platitudes and cliches may harden our hearts, but at the same time, the only thing that may bring healing to our heart is beginning to believe and trust in the promises of God. And so this morning, um, as we, we look at what healing looks like in the Bible, I want you to hear that I can't convince you of this. I wouldn't begin to try. I cannot come up with a clever way to say what the Bible has said that might be more convincing or compelling than it is on its own. You cannot, in your strength or your might or your wisdom, begin to convince yourself of this. It's like us trying to control the rising of the sun. We can't do that. The sun must rise on us that we might have light and have heat and be able to move about in the day. And in the same way, this message about healing must rise on us. Jesus must deliver it to us. And so I'm going to do something odd. I'm going to pause midstream and just pray for a moment. I'm going to ask you maybe to bow your head and allow me to pray over you for a moment before we continue. So if you would just bow your head where you are. And I want to ask, Holy Spirit, would you this morning, in all of the ways that we have hardened our hearts to protect ourselves, Would you help us to have just a little bit of faith this morning to open ourselves to your ministry? There are parts of us that have been carrying around anger for a long time. And others here, there are parts of us that have carried disappointments and disillusionment. And it's, it's getting harder and harder to separate those feelings from our everyday conversation and every decision that we make. Some of us, we have so much damage from what a parent did to us or a teacher or a coach or our first boss. And the words they said and the actions they took, they cut us to the heart and and they've redefined how we view ourselves and it doesn't feel good, it hurts, it stings. Some of us have, in order to not feel the pain, we've pressed it down to a deep place. And this morning, Would you help us? Would you help us because we need healing so desperately this morning? What a miss if we day in and day out through our lives have Jesus on our lips, the word in our laps, the people of God surrounding us, and yet our life is defined by the hurts that we're hiding. This is hard and messy business, Holy Spirit. So help us to trust you today. Help us to to hear, to learn, to feel about healing in a way that we might receive that healing found in Christ. And I pray for the people filling the room this morning, just as I've been praying for the hurts in my life. Would you, for your glory and for our good, bring comforting words and comforting comforting balm over the hurt that we might be able to step into new life. In Jesus' name, amen. My great desire for you today and in your life is that you would experience the kind of healing that Malachi was declaring and that Jesus desires for your life. And I want us to grow in an understanding and an appreciation and and, an anticipation 
for the kind of healing that can be found in Jesus. And last week when we talked about peace, I did this. I told you there are three big buckets through which we need peace in our lives. And we talked about God desires that we would have peace with him, that we would have peace with ourselves, and that we would have peace with others as much as is possible in this life. And in the same way today, I want you to see the landscape of how the Bible describes real healing that is found in Jesus because I think that sometimes the healing comes in ways that we didn't expect it to come. And so I want us to grow in our understanding of this morning. It's another note-taking Sunday or grab your phone and take a picture quickly Sunday before the slide changes uh, because I'm going I'm to throw several passages out to you in three different areas that the Bible speaks to healing we need and healing He gives passages that you're going to need to go back to this week. You're going to need to sink your teeth into them and chew on them a bit and ask the Holy Spirit to help you to understand them. But there are, are three ways at least that we find the Bible teaching us that, that we may experience peace in Jesus. Some of us may experience a gradual healing in and through Jesus. And some may experience in and through Jesus an instant healing. And all of us who are in Christ, the Bible promises, will experience ultimate healing. Three kinds of healing that I want to talk about this morning. And, and as we look at these, whatever your hurt is, if it's spiritual or emotional or relational, or if it's physical, a sickness that you have been burdened by, or if it's E, all of the above, I want to help you find your place and your need for healing found in God's word of promise. And so let me go through these one at a time. The first is gradual healing. I have found that most healing that we experience in these days is gradual healing, almost imperceptible healing when we're in the middle of it. And sometimes it's not until you get past it in the rearview mirror, you look back and you begin to go, oh, I can see. I wasn't alone. God was with me all along, and he was working in my life and through my life in so many ways to bring about healing and transformation of my circumstances that I might experience life in Jesus Christ. And here are three passages that you might dig into this week to have a better understanding of gradual healing. The first is Mark 8, 22 through 26. The second is Romans 8, 1 through 11. And the third is Philippians 1, 6. Grab a picture of it, write it down. I want you to spend time in these passages this week. I'll hit them quickly. Start with an extraordinary example of gradual healing. It's in Mark 8. They, this is the disciples and Jesus, came to Bethsaida. And they, the disciples, brought a blind man to Jesus. And they implored him to touch him with a healing hand. Verse 23, taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village, and after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked, do you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I see, for I see them like trees. Men are walking around. They look a little fuzzy, but, but I've never seen them before. They must be like trees. Then again, Jesus laid his, his hands on his eyes. The man now looked intently and was restored, and he began to see everything clearly. And you read this story, and I wonder why. Why did Jesus heal him in a two-step process? Jesus could have healed him instantly. He didn't need a two-step process, so why did he do this? 
And Mark is our shortest gospel. He uses the the tightest economy of words in writing his gospel. Why did Mark not just write down, and we brought a man to Jesus who was blind, and Jesus healed him to the glory of God. Amen. Hallelujah. But no, he carefully wrote down there were two steps to this gradual miracle that Jesus performed. Why did he heal gradually in this case, and why did Mark record it in this way? And we're not told explicitly or exactly, but we can speculate. And I wonder, I I wonder it may be possible that the reason Jesus did a two-stage healing in this moment, even as it happened pretty quickly, was to teach the disciples and to remind us that our faith grows as we watch Jesus display goodness and kindness and power and love upon us. As we patiently watch him, our faith continues to grow. It's possible that he he did this to teach us to believe that he continues to work. He's not a one and done, but Jesus continues to display his grace and his power in the life of, of people who come to him for it, whether he gives us immediate healing or whether he gives us simply the grace to endure the pain for a little while longer while promising, I will be with you always. So in in this way, I look at this story as a literal story, something that happened that's also a parable. You see that? It's, It's something that actually happened at the same time, this thing that actually happened maybe is there to tell us something or teach us something about how our relationship with Jesus grows. Here in this like even truncated period, this man goes from total blindness to a period of of extreme nearsightedness. Men look like trees to having perfect clarity as he remains present with Jesus. Now, this is an example of a gradual physical healing, but it's not the only arena in which Jesus heals us gradually. He does that also spiritually. Think about Romans 7. Romans 7 is Paul's great confession of, I struggle. I'm saved, but I really, I'm really struggling with some things. And it's followed by Romans 8. 8 comes after 7, math class done. Romans 8, he says, though I struggle, I'm celebrating that God's not done working in me yet. Read, go read Romans 8, 1 through 11. And good news, if you forget The first eight sermons I preach next year are on Romans 8 in a row, and I'm scared to death. You can start praying for that now. But go read it this week. Let me show you just a snippet of it. Paul writes, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But we're not done yet. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In other words, if you are in Christ, if you have trusted him for life and salvation, the Holy Spirit lives within you and is constantly at work in you to make your life, what you say, what you do, what you think, come in line with your salvation, which is fully complete in Christ Jesus. And that's why Paul says to the Philippians this, for I am confident of this thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day that Jesus returns. He's not done bringing about life and life abundant in your life. That's gradual healing. I heard someone talking about this perspective this week. They said maybe the blessing isn't simply the thing that we're desiring to be removed from us or the thing that we want to be added to us. Maybe sometimes the blessing truly is just his presence in the waiting. 
And, and they said, blessing comes from being with Jesus as you continue experiencing his comfort. That he didn't just come, heal you, and leave, but he comes and remains with you. So listen, if this morning in your bag of hurts, it's like men look like trees. <laughs> You're somewhere in the middle of it and you haven't received the full healing that you desire, that your heart longs for. My only advice to you is to keep leaning, keep leaning, keep leaning into Jesus. Keep reminding yourself that you're not alone. He said, come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Receive his presence. Receive his comfort. And you might find, like this person said, and I experienced, you might find his presence is even more satisfying than getting the exact thing the exact way that you wanted. And that's a picture of gradual healing. And I think more often than not, please hear this, more often than not in this age, that's the kind of healing we might anticipate more and more until he returns. Something along the lines of that. But that doesn't mean that he isn't able to do instant healings, right? And he does them in the Bible. He still does them today. Instant healings. Here are three passages you might spend time in this week to kind of wrap your mind around God's incredible power to do anything, absolutely anything. Matthew 12, 10 through 13. John 9, all of it. Go read it. Acts 9, 1 through 19, right? Take a picture, write those down, spend time in them this week. The, the first is an example of something we see happening a lot when Jesus is walking on the earth. Luke 6 describes it when Jesus went places, crowds would surround him. They would multitude, I mean, thousands of people would come rushing at Jesus because they had heard the stories of him performing great miracles, of healing people and casting out evil spirits, real things that were done in real time in an instant, and so people would gather everywhere. And one of those times is in Matthew 12. It says a man was there whose hand was withered. And here the Pharisees had gathered and they were trying to catch Jesus doing something that they could, they could hold over him, breaking the law and, of God in some way that they could use against him to defame him or undermine his ministry and his message. And so the Pharisees come and they say, is it lawful or not to heal this man on the Sabbath day? And Jesus looks at him and he says, don't you know I'm the Lord of the Sabbath? Sabbath was made for man. Sabbath was made for you, that you would remember there is a God and you're not him, right? But guess what? I am him. <laughs> so I am the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus says. And then he turns and he looks at the man with the withered hand and Jesus responds the same way he responds every time when he sees a person in hurt with great compassion and great sensitivity. And he goes to the man and he says, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out. Lo and behold, it was restored to normal, just like the other. And this was an instant healing. This was an instant miracle. And some healings are, are like that. Some healings are instant. Uh, it, it reminds me of another blind man in John 9. Go read all of the chapter of John 9 because there's so much there. But what happens is the disciples bring another man to Jesus who's blind. He's a man who was born blind, and they're having an argument. The argument is, why was he born blind? Was it because there's some deep, dark sin in his life or his family's life? Is it because there's some ugly history and this is the consequences? He was born blind as a punishment for the sins of his people? And Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, no, here's why. 
This man was born blind so that today, this day, this very moment, the works of God would be seen as I heal him. Here I go. And he healed him in an instant. This man, the the very purpose that he was born blind was so that he, so that the disciples, and so that all he encountered would know there is a God. I'm not him. And there's healing in his wings. Acts 9 gives us an incredible picture. This isn't just a physical thing that God does. He does it spiritually too. Acts 9 is a story of Saul of Tarsus being converted, coming to Christ. It's a story of Paul, the apostle's conversion. And what we find at the chapter 9, verse 1, is that it starts with his murderous breathing against the church. And he is full of self-righteousness. He has set his course. He is on a path to destroy the lives of every Christian he encounters and to tear the church down brick by brick. And then Jesus shows up. The Jesus who was crucified, the Jesus who resurrected from the dead, the Jesus who ascended, makes himself seen before Saul of Tarsus. And here's the response. Paul goes, who are you, Lord? And here's what he hears back. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And instantly everything changed for Paul. He's not mad at Jesus. He's not angry at the church anymore. We know his sanctification was progressive. It, it was gradual. It took a while. We saw that in Romans. But in a moment, everything he once held dear and built his life upon died. His resume died. His self-righteousness died. All of the direction of his life in the grave. And in that moment, what resurrected was a new life for Paul, a new identity and a new purpose in Christ. Understand that God chooses the timing, the place, and the way of the healing that occurs in our lives. And he's always wise. He's always compassionate in the way that he does so. He's always purposeful. And if you are in the waiting, longing for a miracle, stay in his presence and trust his timing. Not a cliche, not a platitude, invitation. Stay in his presence, trust in his timing. Allow him to continue ministering to you a little more and more day by day. Second way of healing was instant. The third way, and this is truly the most important healing that that every person who's ever been born deeply, deeply needs. The Bible promises all who trust in Christ will experience ultimate healing. Ultimate healing. Here's your three passages. Revelation 21, 1 through 7. 1 John 3, 1 and 2. And Malachi 4, 2. Okay? The first one, the Revelation 21 passage, what it tells us is that Jesus will heal every hurt in your life. Every hurt in your life when he comes again. The second Christmas, the second Advent. Every hurt that you've experienced in your life will be wiped away. The memory of it will be disintegrated by the goodness and the joy that overwhelms it when he returns again. Jesus meets the tremendous need we have for hope beyond the grave. And the physical sickness, the physical pain, the sorrows, the disappointments, the hurts will be gone and will be replaced only with his goodness. Listen to to Revelation 21. There will no longer be any death. 
There will no longer be any mourning or crying. No longer will you experience pain and never again. And he who sits on the throne has said, old things passed away. Behold, I am making all things new. It's as if all of the stuff that hurts you and leaves you longing is extracted from the experience on this earth and what remains is perfection. And that means no more doctors. Sorry if you're in the medical profession. I'm going to offend you right now, okay? No more doctors, no more hospitals, no more chemotherapy, no more radiation, no more physical therapy, no more back pain, no more knee pain, no more divorce, no more broken relationships, no more destitute, no more disappointment, no more politics, no more division, no more depression. All of it's gone. (laughs) There's no memory of it any longer. All of it's passed away because the king says, behold, I'm making all things new. And in my kingdom, things are just the way they should be. And it's almost, almost too hard for us to conceive of the world being like that. That's why we have to beg for the mercy of God to help us believe and help us anticipate and live for what he has promised. Sin brings death. But Jesus conquers death. And as he conquers death, he replaces it with life. Healing, healing spiritually, healing, healing physically, healing emotionally, healing in relationships, physical healing in totality, all things healed. First John 3, this promise, beloved in Christ, now we're children of God. If you have trusted Jesus for life and salvation, the Bible teaches you've been adopted into his family, co-heirs with Christ. We're God's kids And he says, it has not yet appeared, though, as what we will be. We're not fully baked. We're not fully formed. We're still, we're tasting and experiencing the fullness of the Christmas meal to come when he returns. We persevere, but we know that when he appears, when he comes again, we will be like him, fully healed and fully restored, just as healed and restored as he was when he got up out of the grave after his crucifixion, fully alive fully, fully alive in glory and in power because we will see him just as he is. That's the promise for us. And in Malachi 4.2, back to our, our verse of promise this morning. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you, listen to this, this is weird for a city boy and someone who's accused of being way too serious all the time. And you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. <laughs> I can't imagine. I, I, thought, I thought for a moment I might skip across the stage to demonstrate this, but I could not bring myself to that kind of foolishness. And yet, Malachi promises there is something that will happen in us when Jesus returns that we will not be able to contain ourselves. This is the effect, the effect of total healing that we experience when he comes again. And it's a picture, if you see it, it's a word picture. Can you see this? Calves being set free from a stall and going full of excitement. The first picture is of freedom. It's the thing that every one of our souls are born longing for. 
because we're born into a world of brokenness and bondage. And from the moment we come into the world, we want to be set free. And we're on this endless pursuit to find something that makes us feel free, but we're never free until he returns again. And then we're fully free. Even now in Christ, we are spiritually free and free indeed, the Bible says, and yet we live in the brokenness of the world, so we still have pain. But when he comes again, it's like cows bursting out of the stall, freedom like we've never conceived will fall upon us. And Malachi says, we don't walk in freedom, right? I'm not going to skip. I won't do it. (laughs) He says, we will leap and bound and run about in the freedom that we have because this is total and unencumbered joy. There are no shackles. There is no shame. There is something that washes over us that is so perfect and so glorious. We can't help it. And we leap and bound out in freedom. It's a celebration. It's a party that washes over our soul when Christ comes with perfect healing. I imagine it being a little bit like Christmas morning with our kids. And I've got a couple of my kids now getting to that age that we all get to where you start thinking about it and you begin to think you're too cool to act excited. You you know what I'm talking about? But Christmas morning, all rules are broken about that. There's something about the delight of that moment, that as cool as I want to be, I'm going to be a silly kid once again on Christmas morning. And what Malachi 4 says, it's so much more than that. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise on you with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You won't be able to help yourself. The Bible teaches us sometimes the healing we find in Christ is gradual. It's not outside his strength and his power for it to be instant. But for all who cling to Jesus Christ for life and salvation, it's ultimate. All of the hurts will go away and we'll be replaced with perfection. And in the waiting, sometimes we forget, the Jews in the Old Testament did too, that we're pilgrims. This world is not our home. And the days may seem long, But the majority of the life you have to live in Christ, the greater portion of who you are and what you will experience and know and learn, it lies ahead in perfection with him. And this is the meaning of Christmas. Jesus comes to give light and warmth where we are dark and cold. He comes to bring healing in exchange for our hurts and to give us a capacity for joy that we have never known. And this morning, I pray Pray that the Holy Spirit would help to give you the strength to open your hands about the hurts that you have tried to to hide and protect yourself in. And you don't have to do it with me or the person sitting next to you, but I invite you to do it with the Lord, to begin to uncross the arms and unclench the fists. It's It's a scary place to go. And my friend has been teaching me that There may be a part of you that really desires to and another part of you that that really struggles to. Listen to the hurt. Listen to the word of promise. Lay them side by side and invite the Lord to begin to heal the hurts in your life. Let me pray for you this morning. Lord, I pray that, that we would know and believe deep down this morning that in Christ and Christ alone we can experience true healing for our hurts. His word is true. 
brings light to life. His presence brings satisfaction. Help our hearts to grow in anticipation for his second coming. Help us to ready ourselves for the party ahead. But today, help us to give our hearts to you and receive from you your love, your grace, and your healing. In Jesus' name, amen.